Hey, pretty people. A lot of things inspired me to create this podcast, but one of the biggest things was the book I wrote, Life After Low Self-Esteem. It details how I overcame my struggles with low self-worth and serves as a helpful guide for others who may be dealing with similar issues. I also have accompanying worksheets that you can find on my website that I reference. There's a journal you can download, a worksheet that helps with setting boundaries, and my personal favorite, the embarrassment worksheet. I don't know if you're like me and you remember embarrassing things that happened to you years ago and you still cringe about it. All of these worksheets have helped me a great deal. And again, you can find these on my website for free. And as for my book, Life After Low Self-Esteem, you can find that on Amazon, available in ebook and paperback format. The Demetrius Show podcast covers a variety of topics concerning mental health. This occasionally includes topics such as depression, anxiety, eating disorders, and thoughts some people may find distressing to hear. Listener discretion is advised. Each episode dealing with mental health is meant to be a general discussion and not meant to take the place of advice or treatment from any licensed medical professional. If you are needing mental health advice and or treatment, please speak with a mental health professional. Things are changing and it's probably going to take a long time for things to get to a point where, you know, masculinity is not dominating femininity or, you know, these traditional roles aren't. Uh, part of the zeitgeist. I'm really scary to date right now. Like, kind of terrifying. I have a very low tolerance for disrespect and people being super inappropriate, especially on dating apps. Unfortunately, for many of you on those dating apps, you already know that half the people you deal with have no regard for boundaries or respecting you as a person. We're very selfish these days. And unfortunately for these people, when I am disrespected, I become very vicious in my reaction to the testing of boundaries and being disrespectful. Well, I say vicious. I think I'm just being sarcastic and blunt, but some of my friends say I'm being savage. Now I know what you're thinking also. Demetrius, if you hate dating apps so much, why don't you get off of them and just meet people in person? And believe me, I wish it were that simple. However, I'm a feminine, gay Black man who often gets mistaken for a woman. There are little to no spaces out there that cater to an environment where I can walk in, grab a drink, and just bump into a potential romantic partner like my hetero counterparts. You guys have like bicycling groups and and these lovely little tea parties and you can just be straight in peace. I don't get that. I have to, you know, walk down dark alleys and all that other weird stuff. But especially for those of us who don't conform to gender norms and or fall outside of the gender binary itself, since we don't have many spaces where we're accepted, let alone romantically pursued, it just gets so complicated and confusing. And sometimes it looks just downright hopeless. Today, I wanted to explore the contrast between masculine and feminine dating experiences and the energies when it comes to dating. So with that, let's get started. Welcome to The Demetrius Show, where I learn how to walk through my shadows, picking the flowers I've grown through sheer 
resilience. And I may not know enough yet to start teaching, but I'm going to keep convincing you to keep pushing. I'm Demetrius, and this is my life after speaking. So a little bit more about my experience as a feminine gay man who is pretty darn androgynous. Part of the reason why I am so vicious in the first place is because these dudes be trying me. For feminine presenting men, or even those who are non-binary, we don't get taken seriously most of the time in general, let alone when we're dating. I have guys hit me up where it's very obvious every cis-hetero woman they harass that day didn't give them the time of day, so they think, oh, well, here's this, I guess, transgender person who nobody wants. I could probably get them in bed pretty easily, only to find out that I'm much worse to deal with. Which brings me to fetishes. As a feminine black gay man, I have to deal with fetishes on multiple fronts. I get guys who call themselves a tranny chaser, and I get guys who are bi-curious and want their first experience to be with the person with a big black cock. I don't like saying the word cock, by the way. Either way, they try to reduce me to a sexual object, and I'm sure it happens fairly often for others like me as well. We're seen as the other. For some people, we're not someone you'd ever see yourself being in a serious relationship with, taking home and meet your parents, or much less getting married. We're meant to inhabit an experimental phase and help bored, sexually frustrated people get something out of their system. So when I do meet a guy who isn't a complete dump truck of a human being within the first two seconds of us messaging each other, I have to be very intentional about setting my boundaries and communicating my expectations. Now, I wanted to talk about the contrast between feminine and masculine experiences and energies. So I'm bringing on my dear friend, Alex. Alex and I vent to each other about this stuff all the time. So it was natural for me to invite him onto the show. So without further ado, let's bring him on. All right. Well, I am an art and culture journalist. I am based in Dallas and I am openly uh, bisexual. Uh, My interests include art, music, I have like a very eclectic taste and, you know, overall, I'm still, I'm 28 years old. I'm still learning how to live life and, you know, taking the lessons in stride. Good. I'm glad you didn't undersell yourself because I was prepared to be like, well, actually, Alex, you also do this, 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 (laughs) like we uplift people over here. Yeah, um, I am trying to learn how to gas myself up and, you know. Just kind of... <laughs> okay, well, uh, where can we find you on social media? All right, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Alex G. Writer. It is all one word, A-L-E-X-G-W-R-I-T-E-R. We wanted to talk about and tackle masculine, feminine energies and how we can kind of disabuse ourselves of binary language. Right. So I wanted to start off with, because I want to define what masculine and femininity are, and then move on into the binary language and how we're still kind of using that in a way that is not exactly helpful at times. So in your 
opinion, what is, how do you define masculinity? All right. Well, masculinity, I think, refers to a set of traits and a set of characteristics and a set of mannerisms that are often attributed to men. You know, there's that sort of, you know, protective nature, the sort of driven more by logic than emotion. And oftentimes most emotions are, most emotions men express are typically anger and very rarely happiness. You know, they just kind of keep like a, I don't know how to say it's like a little bit more of a low key uh, nature, whereas women are stereotypically, you know, thought to be more expressive, more, you know, submissive, you know, they're protective as well, but they're more of like the caretakers than they are, you know. So what do you feel like are the more toxic aspects of it? I think oftentimes men are not taught to express their emotions in a healthy way. Therefore, it leads to anger. Therefore, it leads to violent outbursts. It leads to yelling. It leads to, you know, kind of like an assertion of dominance, so to say. Yeah, I agree with that. I do. Absolutely. And so moving on to feminine, how would you define what that is? All right. How would I define femininity? It's usually a set of traits, characteristics, mannerisms that are often associated with women. You know, they do have like the protective nature, like that of the masculine uh, spectrum, but also, you know, they're expected to be submissive. You know, they're thought to be more emotional, more sensitive, more feeling in a way I don't know. In this day and age, it's really hard to, you know, define it as black and white, as cookie cutter things, you know, oh, just yeah, cause, definitely because like I've learned to kind of think about it as a spectrum rather than just two fixed points. Yeah, I definitely can agree with you there, because as someone I identify as a gay male, but I'm very androgynous and I've been androgynous the majority of my life, I guess. And having to come out during the Bush, well, not having, but choosing to come out during the Bush administration and having to quickly uh, define and cement during that time, it was very much so where I, when I was mistaken for a woman, I was just like, well, I mean, I don't care. I don't really care if you think I'm a woman. I'm not. And being a woman is not the worst thing on earth to me. So being feminine isn't the worst thing on earth to me. And so when we eventually got to the current, where we are currently, where we are pushing to respect people and their preferred pronouns and what they choose to identify as, I'm going to be honest and say that I initially, I guess, kind of struggled with that concept because again, I was, I had gotten to the point where I was like, no, I don't, it doesn't matter to me what pronoun you use because at the end of the day, masculine and feminine anyone can exhibit those traits those characteristics um we make them specific to men women and the both like you mentioned black and white both ends of the spectrum but nothing is where if you are a man you have to be masculine you're a woman you have to be feminine because i was every day well even today i walk into work and i've got on four inch heel chelsea boots and a scarf Uh, and a blazer and it's like well i mean i still managed to get my stuff done i still managed to do what i need to do so clearly i can exist and uh not be 100 masculine all the time 
and still command authority and still do what I need to do. So perhaps it's not as rigid and stringent as we make it out to be. So we, we, and that's why I wanted to kind of define what those two are. Because I, the common theme there is both are kind of social, both are social constructs and both can apply to anyone. Anyone can be more masculine and feminine. Anyone can be more feminine and masculine or equal parts. And so when we draw that conclusion and we look into specifically the LGBT community and our non-binary allies and everything and how they navigate, not just the dating scene, but in general, and how that can, how that sort of language can, that binary focused language can be so much of a hindrance because we are not only using the binary language, we're associating the expectations with it. Where if yeah. I say you have a husband, there's also that expectation that comes with being a husband attached to that. Mm-hmm. You know, it traditionally and, the husband is thought yes. to be the breadwinner, the hunter, the gatherer, mm-hmm. while the woman is thought to be, you know, the caregiver, the one who stays at home, you know, cooks and cleans. And I think oftentimes since women have been in the work field, we've kind of blurred those lines between, you know, who's the protector, who's the caretaker. And, but maybe not as soon as it should be, but I think it's, things are changing and it's probably going to take a long time for things to get to a point where, you know, masculinity is not dominating femininity or, you know, these traditional roles aren't uh, part of the zeitgeist, but I definitely think times are changing. Right. So I want to circle back to femininity because we talked about toxic masculinity. For me, toxic femininity, when we are talking about, I think a lot of the characteristics of that are when, that I see, are when we're trying to well, let me give an example of what I see on Twitter with our heterosexual brethren, where they're talking about the different roles that are expected of women. And you have the women who go out of their way to exhibit those characteristics so that they can gain favor from their male counterparts and how they do that at the expense of their everything well-being, their physical, emotional, and mental well-being, just so they make themselves more presentable and more desirable. And all of that is tied back to patriarchy, where... It's like for the expectation of men. Yeah, you're making yourself more um, valuable, seemingly valuable, for the sake of pleasing a man. And I think that also floods into the LGBTQ community where we are still trying to kind of mimic those heteronormative dynamics in our own relationships. Um, Because of course, that's for most of us, that's all we were shown growing up. That's all we know how to model anything after. And we are not yet, or we just don't know that we don't have to do that. We don't have to be as rigid. Well, really, our heterosexual 
brethren don't have to be either, but Mm -hmm. we especially don't have to be. And so I believe that in really kind of deconstructing like we've done so far, masculine and the feminine energies and saying, and really defining what that are, the kind of unsavory aspects of both and what kind of drives that you then gain a sense of, okay, well, if anyone can be masculine and anyone can exhibit feminine characteristics, then when I am going out into the dating world and trying to figure out what I want from a partner, hopefully I would think that would help in keeping the focus on what is healthy for me, not just what role I need to fit in in the relationship or what role I think my partner should fill in the relationship based on society's expectations, but what, what do I want from a partner? So I think there's a benefit in not focusing so much on the rigid binary language and structure. I think so too. And, you know, so oftentimes I'm asked, you know, do you prefer your partner to be a little more mask, a little more femme? And I'm like, you know, I like people who are who they are, who don't try to fake to be something they're not. I mean, and you can tell when things are being faked and you know I've dated men I've dated women I've dated non-binary people I've dated you know people who present masculinely who present femininely and you know and and I've enjoyed my time with all of them it doesn't matter you know how they present I like people who are themselves and I vibe with people for how they make me feel and yeah that last part especially how they make you feel how they make you feel and what's healthy for you. So when you focus on those things, really masculine and feminine doesn't even matter because anyone can treat you, mistreat you. Person can fit every box of masculinity and what we think a man is supposed to be, for instance, or what we think a woman is supposed to be, or whatever we think someone is supposed to be. They can still mistreat you. They can still not meet your expectations and if you don't have those things in place and you're not focused on it then i mean it doesn't matter who you date because it's going to be the same outcome right and 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 part of that is like in disabusing yourself of you know masculine and feminine binary language i think you also have to disabuse yourself of a quote-unquote type you know like a lot of people say oh this person wasn't my type or i have a type but I think you really have to let go of that if you want to pursue a relationship, because not everyone is going to, you know, meet the criteria you set, the hypothetical criteria you have set for a partner. It just doesn't work that way. You know, everyone's going to have, you know, their traits that, you know, you weren't expecting and you have to be prepared to, you know, love the person unconditionally, regardless of their traits. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that for a minute. So talking about when someone you you feel someone isn't your type, but we've all got that friend who wants so badly to tell you, well, because your type is (laughs) a-holes and people who do not care about you. And of course, that that can be rooted in other things, right? Self-esteem, trauma, what have you that makes you subconsciously seek out individuals who 
encourages a cycle. But also, even when you acknowledge that you, let's, for me, I acknowledge my low self-esteem led to me being attracted to certain people who just were no good and were emotionally um, just unavailable, right? And having to really dig in and identify why am I attracted to someone like that who does not want to be emotionally available to me. Even after you've done all the work, you may still find yourself in patterns where you feel as though you are not attracted, where you are telling yourself, this person is not my type. But you're telling yourself that because the person that you are encountering is not familiar to what you're used to being around, dating. And so you feel that this person is absolutely what you do not want. But that is because you haven't stepped out of your comfort zone to try to have new experiences with different people, people that you typically wouldn't date. And I found that by stepping outside of my comfort zone and went, well, yeah, this person isn't, you know, huge, six foot tall and muscular and looks like they have are a father of six. But I think I can still give this person a chance. And in doing so, I discovered that, okay, yes, everyone has your type, but your type isn't set in stone. Your type isn't unchangeable, right? Right. And, you know, it's like, it's like the same way we're realizing that gender and, you know, sexuality, it's not really fixed. It's fluid. It's yes. malleable. It changes over time in a way. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So what are some ways you feel that we can modify the binary language you're accustomed to using to just make it easier for our non-binary friends out there in general? I don't know. I mean, like, I think I've become accustomed to calling people them, like using the singular they, them, if I don't know their pronouns for sure. And you know, or I ask people like, hey, where's your partner? Even if they are in like heterosexual dynamics, I always ask, how's your partner doing or something just because, you know, you can never assume those types of things. And even if they, it is to cis hetero people, you know, you want to make sure the people around you know that it's safe to use queer language and be in queer dynamics, you know, and by using that type of language, like partner or spouse or even the singular they, them, just like it helps people around, you know, that it's safe to express themselves freely. And I will say too, that goes back to what I said earlier about me personally, not really when someone says, what are your preferred pronouns? I'm like, well, I mean, really, it doesn't matter to me, but I try to still have a preferred pronoun just so that I am making sure that if there's a non-binary person in the vicinity or what have you, that I'm establishing that level of um, acknowledgement and respect to where it's, okay, we are going to have, we're going to respect each other's pronouns. Um, and like you mentioned as well, when you're using the partner versus wife, husband language, they, them, it helps to kind of send out that beacon that this is a safe space. You are going to be acknowledged and respected. 
And yes. so I just continued it, you know, I think that's where that comes into play, where we're, even if it doesn't, even if you, it doesn't personally affect you, that's kind of the direction that you want to head in. And, you know, I feel like it would be disingenuous, you know, I mean, I don't mind like pronouns and call that, but I definitely am a cis man. And I feel like it would be disingenuous to say that, you know, I've struggled with my gender identity. That's not something I've struggled with. I mean, maybe my sexuality for sure, but I feel like I've always been comfortable in my body and the gender I was assigned at birth, but I'm also learning that other people's experiences, you know, may not line up with mine and even if I don't fully understand, you know, the other person's experience is valid. And I think that a certain experience was like when a friend of mine had come out as non-binary, but they also weren't entirely sure what it meant to be non-binary. And then I said, well, you can be non-binary, but you also could be a man who likes to carry a purse or a man who you know, likes to paint their nails, you know, just because you do these things doesn't mean you are non-binary. And then mm -hmm. they told me, well, you know, I don't really feel like I fall into like these types of, of you know, norms, these expectations. And I said, okay, well then if you think you are non-binary, I respect uh, your identity and, you know, I'm a safe person to talk to and I am committed to understanding you. And really, you know, everyone's journey is different. And so I think the the common theme there was you just being supportive because you never know where someone is going to end up down the line um, in their journey for their gender identity and expression. But I think when we are making sure that we are being supportive and we are creating a an environment that is conducive to someone being able to figure that out and feeling safe and doing so, that that's those are the most important components that we can provide, even if we ourselves are not as immersed in having the firsthand experience with that. Do you have any other experience like with dating or anything or? I mean, there have definitely been times where like, I don't know, I've never really purposely sought out, you know, someone necessarily more masculine, someone more feminine. I mean, I definitely feel like in the past when I was younger, I would. Whenever I broke up with the first guy I ever dated, I purpose, I think I purposely sought out someone more masculine just so I can make my ex feel bad about himself, which, you know, toxic Alex is in the past, but, you know, that's <laughs> not something I would do now. Typically, I, of course, was always talking to trade masculine men. And that was because, you know, usually from my experience was dating. I mean, most guys, when it comes to feminine gay guys, that's a whole nother episode right there um, and their dating experiences. But they're most of the men who would even give me the time of day or so I thought anyway, were the ones who were more like closeted and they were looking for more of something casual and having to navigate that really helped me empathize with non-binary folks and their dating experiences when they're trying to figure out okay there's an expectation from the community of what they are attracted to and what they find attractive and if i and me being a person who doesn't present in the typical way 
of what's expected? How do I navigate the dating scene? And what is healthy and what is not? And because we don't have a rule book, we don't have like a, a guide, you know, I feel like heterosexual cis women, they have like all these movies and self-help books and all these other things. Um, We don't have that. We don't have any of that. And our dating pool is already small anyway. LGBTQ people's dating pool is pretty small anyway. Oh yeah. And then for us, it's even more limited because we don't fit into that ideal image of what is considered normal and attractive, quote unquote. And so having to figure out what is acceptable for us in terms of a potential partner and how we're treated, even if you're just looking into casual, I especially learned earlier this year, even if you're just looking for something casual, I feel like there are still things that you, where you need to set boundaries and have standards. And so putting into play all of this, all of that we've spoken about with defining masculine, defining feminine, talking about how we can advocate for our non-binary individuals or individuals like myself who are just androgynous. And we're just like, I mean, at the end of the day, people are going to struggle to figure out what we are one way or the other and how we can help in those environments. Because that helps me, even though I really, like I mentioned, I don't care what pronoun you use. It still helps me because that lets me know that I'm in an environment where I don't have to be as on guard as I usually am when I like go to work or something, or I'm going out to pump gas. I don't have to feel like I have to make sure this, let me kind of feel it out a little bit, make sure that everyone's on, not on some, you know, crazy stuff. So, and I think if it helps non-binary helps myself, it'll more than likely help others. And knowing that they're in an environment of acceptance, right? Where you just being yourself is okay here in this environment. Because if you identify one way or the other, we want to make sure that you are acknowledged and respected regardless. Yes. And I definitely wanted to go back on the whole rom-com thing. You know, I think whenever I had started like dating in college, like I think it was helpful whenever I would be in like relationships with women and like, seeing those rom-coms and being able to like model you know acts of romance off of what I saw in those movies but like I think I was a little more confused when I started dating men because it's like ah there's no like instruction manual for this I mean now we have like fucking bros but I mean it's still like very I don't know it's it's kind of devastatingly white and let's see what else it's still in some ways it's still kind of like traditional I don't know it follows like same like heterosexual paradigms in a way so yes yes. I don't know I feel like it it just matters between y'all two it or multiple partners if you're polyamorous I don't know but no Mm -hmm. two relationship dynamics are the same right exactly and even though it would be nice to have a rule book At the same time, because we're talking about the rom-com and the heterosexual paradigms, a lot of that is being deconstructed and um, we're beginning to see how some of that is problematic, right? And how really when it comes down to it, and again, mentioning the the constant Twitter discourse, 
really what it comes down to is, are you dating someone that even likes you? <laughs> are you dating someone who respects you for who you are, for all of who you are? And I think if you focus on that, everyone, focus on that, everything else will eventually fall into place. And of course, that's where communication and everything like that comes in. But I think, once again, when we think about how we're trying to model things after heteronormative dynamics, how we don't need to do that. And how if we just focus on, because we have unique existences and experiences that are are not conducive to those dynamics anyway. And really what it comes down to is, again, are you dating someone who even likes you and respects you and loves you for just who you are. And if you can just find that and focus on that, then everything else, again, will just kind of eventually work itself out. Thank you for listening to The Demetrius Show. Reviews of this show help expand my audience size and reach new listeners. So be sure to rate it on your preferred listening platform so more people can know about it. Also, if you really love this show, be sure to subscribe to my email list so you can be the first to get news and updates about the podcast and more. And as always, be kind to yourself, be safe, and until next time.